one. All right, here we go. All right, uh, welcome everyone to the March 2019 hashtag Exchange SA chat um, on performance therapy and training. My name is Kyle Stapleton. I'm um, student physical therapist and the director of communications of the APTA Student Assembly Board of Directors. And we're joined by um, the one and only Mike Reinold. Um, he's a physical therapist. He's the former Boston Red Sox head athletic trainer, and he's currently the owner of Champion Physical Therapy and Performance. And, you know, tonight we're going to be discussing uh, Mike's free course on intro to performance therapy and training, and also just how to incorporate strength and conditioning into performance into uh, general practice. Uh, Mike, so thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, obviously, I'm always excited to be able to, uh, you know, to get online and, and, you know, make an impact for, you know, the students and the new grads. So, um, you know, heck, we've been we've been talking this for about, about a month now, Kyle, about, about trying to put this together. So it's uh, it's exciting to actually get to uh, tonight so we can actually talk. So um, I don't know. I've been pumping it up online, too. I know you have. So hopefully we get some good questions tonight. Absolutely. I'm very confident we will have, you know, just for our audience, you know, if you haven't been part of an ex- hashtag exchange SA chat before, you can interact on Facebook Live so you can drop all your questions into the, into the comments and we can roll them right into the queue and, um, and have Mike answer them. Um, and there's also a Twitter conversation happening right now. Um, just follow the hashtag exchange, hashtag exchange SA, you know, and just shout out in the comments, you know, if you're a hashtag DPT student, hashtag PTA student, fresh uh, PT or, you know, anyone else, a physical therapist, physical therapist assistant and any others. You know, we'd, uh, we'd really like to have that information. If you could sh- just shout out your, uh, your name, uh, year in school in the comments. Awesome. You know, just some, just some announcements kind of going forward here uh, for Student Assembly. So, you know, we're always looking for Pulse contributors. So for more information or to send a Pulse blog, um, you know, just email pulse at apta.org. I'm super excited. We're the National Student Conclave Project Committee is now open for interested applicants. So the NSCPC is highly involved. Um, with planning this year's um, APTA National Student Conclave in regards to programming, selective speak, selecting speakers, responsible for marketing and advertising, and uh, it's much more. Uh, consider applying for this highly influential project committee. Uh, the link will be placed in the comments um, for you guys. Um, the uh, federal advocacy forum is also taking place in just over March 31st to April 2nd, Washington, D.C. Multiple board members will be there, just like I said before. Um, so, you know, reach out to us um, if you have any questions. And the deadline to register for that is March 18th. Um, as as we've been kind of saying for APTA next registration is open as well. Someone will drop that link into the comments. And finally, the core ambassador applications were actually extended from March 1st to March 8th. Um, so, you know, if you haven't got your application and you're still interested, you know, check the, uh, you know, check the, the APTA engage site um, and see if your state's still available to apply. Um, we'd love to get your application in. Awesome. Sounds good. All right, Mike. So you want to dive into some questions here? You're a pro at this, Kyle, by the way. You're a good host. I like this. Oh, you know, the, the, guests, really, the guests really make the show, you know. So, that's what I always tell them. So let's roll into some questions here. I really appreciate it. So, you know, I took your free course, and, you know, I thought, it was, I thought it was awesome. So, you know, and it's called Intro to Performance Therapy and Training. So in the course, you say that performance is not solely generalized to the athlete, but can also be applied to the general population as well. Can you elaborate on, you know, why you think this is? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's why we kind of, you know, that's kind of why I started this course was to kind of come up with like this definition of what performance therapy kind of means to us, right? Because we, we've been saying that for years now. We've been saying that on the podcast. We've been saying that, but we've been kind of, kind of, you know, uh, you know, using that terminology with our practice at Champion because the, the physical therapy realm right now, if you ask the general public what they think physical therapy is, they say, well, you know, I, I need to have like a, you know, big injury or a surgery or something like that to, to go to physical therapy. And I, I don't think they, they see that their, their, you know, physical therapy can do, do so much for you. So for us at Champion, you know, we've always kind of like started our practice where we kind of said, you know, hey, um, you know, we're, we're helping people, you know, do different aspects of, of, of what they want out of their body and out of their lives. So we kind of always talk about, you know, performance just being, you know, how you use your body, right? So one of the first things we always kind of teach and we educate this in the course a little bit is that performance doesn't necessarily mean you're an athlete. But don't get me wrong, like athletes probably more than anybody else want to maximize their performance. But I mean, everybody performs like, so we just got four inches of snow up in Boston last night, right? We're getting another 10 in like two hours, right? But we had four inches of snow. I went sledding today with my kids, right? And, 
you know, that's, that's performance to me, right? I'm, I'm going down to spring training next week. I'm going to try to golf a little bit. That's performance for me. Right. So like, it's, you know, everybody has like a different, you know, mode of performance. So, you know, for us, we just say performance is trying to get the most out of your body and trying to perform that way. So traditional physical therapy, like it's, yeah, you know, we have a big injury and I'm going to rehab back and I'm going to get back to my baseline. But what if your baseline's really low? Right. And what if you haven't kind of maximized, you know, your potential type, you know, situation. So, you know, there's, there's always going to be a need for traditional physical therapy practices that just focus on, you know, helping people get back for a few weeks after a surgery. But I think like the, the future here, especially with people that like to work with high level people or even the athletic population, it's really helping people uh, optimize their performance in our mind. And that's kind of what we do. So, you know, that's why we built the courses. We're trying to kind of, you know, you know, popularize that because I'm telling you, we have a blast at work, right? Because all our, our, <laughs> our, our clients, uh, that they want to get the most out of the body. Nobody doesn't want to be there. Right. So, you know, and that's even just right there. I call them clients. We don't call them patients. Right. Because we don't want to make them feel like they're broke. Right. They're, you know, they're just clients of ours and we're here to help them, you know, maximize themselves. Right. Exactly. You know, I think it's a really good point that you bring up. And I think the philosophy really makes sense. You know, performance is salient to each individual, you know, just because you're not a high level athlete, you know, or, or top level athlete, you know, it doesn't mean you should be working on your performance because, you know, performance, like you said, is kind of subjective to everyone and right. should be enhanced in, in everyone. You know, whatever, you know, the impairments are and, you know, or functional limitations that are in each individual, you know, those need to be maximized in order to maximize performance. So I think that's actually a really good point that you bring up. And I think the course being structured around that really makes sense, you know? Right. right. Yeah, no, it's to me, I mean, that's, I've always been that way. And I don't know, like I, I have a more broad background, right? So I'm a physical therapist. I'm an athletic trainer. I'm a certified strength coach, right? There's, you know, I, I've worked in all these realms. I've worked in the injury rehab setting. I've worked in the athletic training setting to prevent injuries. I've worked in the performance enhancement setting. And I think that's really where this kind of came from is that I saw in these models, especially in like pro sports, that they have all these interdisciplines that kind of work together and collaborate. And I see how beneficial it is for them. You know, it's more holistic in every way. So, you know, for us, that's when we started championing. We said, hey, we got we to gotta do this for everybody, you know, and I'm telling you that, the, you know, this in a completely humble way, I don't mean this weird, but like the, the kids in the local high schools around here have no idea how good they have it, right? Because they're, they're working with us and like going to this big comprehensive model. They've never, you know, seen anything else. But I mean, we're, you know, for the baseball players that come to us, we're, you're doing injury rehab, but we're also doing performance enhancement, strength and conditioning, throwing programs, arm care, in-season maintenance, right? Like these kids have no idea that this isn't the norm. Right. So, um, you know, that's really, that's why we built it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with that. You know, and you know, you have the two titles, so performance therapy and you also have performance training. So can you elaborate for our guests what the difference is between that performance therapy and performance training? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's, you know, we, a lot of us talk now about this bridging the gap concept between, you know, therapy and training, but, you know, I, I think there's such a huge overlap. Um, you know, therapy, don't get me wrong, it implies that you have some sort of rehab that, that you need, right? But for me, I think it's more that you just have very specific things that we can help optimize, right? So if you look at the spectrum of performance, this is kind of how I, I define kind of what we do. But we, st we start at the very beginning by restoring, optimizing, then enhancing. And then finally, once you kind of get them to that point, we maintain. And that's kind of like the four levels of performance for us. So it's restore, optimize, and then enhance, right? So you can see there's like a big blend right there. If, if, if somebody comes to you, you want to do a good assessment on them. You want to see how well they move because we're looking for things that may be below baseline. Or maybe we're looking for some things that we can optimize to get you a little bit of, uh, you know, above baseline. And we haven't even talked about enhancing yet, right? So it's... You know, you see people, they come into the physical therapy world and they're just trying to kind of restore and they never get to optimize and they never get to enhance. You see some people that are in just like the personal training or sports performance world, right? And they'll go there and they'll never do anything to restore or optimize. They'll just go right to enhance, right? So it's almost like kind of putting those three together over time that I think, you know, is, is, is the big, is the big difference. So the reason why it's performance therapy and training is because it's an overlap, right? And that doesn't mean we're, we're doing the same thing, but we have the same concepts, 
the same system, the same framework that we kind of follow. It's just different depending on, on, on what your background is. But by all means, I think we should all be working together. So again, like at Champion, we got a bunch of physical therapists and we have a bunch of strength coaches. Right. And if you're a young PT, I think one of the best things you can do is go find like a good strength and conditioning place to kind of go one, learn from, but two is like, you know, try to collaborate with and work with them a little bit. So that way, you know, you can help them with their clients and they can send you some patients and, and, you know, and vice versa. And I think that is a good collaborative effort. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I think it's really true because, you know, the physical therapists and strength coaches, they're kind of like, they work very closely together. And, you know, they kind of bounce things off of each other. And, you know, at least kind of in your realm of physical therapy, the, the impairments, you know, limitations aren't going to be, you know, anything that's very significant. It's going to be very, you know, minute things. So I think working with the strength coaches who are able to, you know, identify those also, you know, as, as you're able to identify those, it just creates like the most salient rehab, for them, you know, because you can kind of tell them that this is kind of what they should be doing in their, you know, strength conditioning. And you can prescribe that to them and the strength coaches can use that, you know, yeah. uh, in their, you know, conditioning. So yeah, I think that's a really good point. And it's all how you collaborate, right? So the way I kind of think of it on our end is we help them with the goals a little bit, right? Like I would never go out to my strength coaches and say like, hey, do, uh, you know, do three sets of reverse lunges, right? Because, you know, maybe they want to do a forward lunge. You know, I mean, <laughs> we're just nitpicking, right? So for me, I, I, I think the best way we do this together is that I identify the impairments. I identify what some potential compensations or limitations are. And I just say like, hey, we got to work on their hinge pattern, right? And that's it. I don't tell them how to work on the hinge pattern, right? Because you, as a PT, you don't want to tell a strength coach necessarily how to work on a hinge pattern. You just say like, hey, I've identified that this person has a suboptimal hinge pattern. Uh, and then work on it. And if you're even better than that, and you follow a good system and you can break that down. You can say, well, I don't think they have a good hip range of motion or whatever it may be. Right. And you can be that specific. But then the strength coach then builds the program. So let them use their expertise. Right. So, you know, that's where the, you know, the collaboration comes in together is you have to speak the same language. You have to follow a similar system. So that way you can understand, hey, I'm trying to work on this person's hip hinge, for example, you know, and everybody knows why and everybody knows what that means. Absolutely. You know, that's kind of where the interprofessional collaboration happens. I absolutely agree. You know, it's got uh, Skylar Jorgensen actually put in the comments. She says, I'm excited to get champion certified. So how about that? Ah, nice. <laughs> nice, Skylar. That's good. Yeah. So we're getting there. We're getting there. So, yeah, we're hopefully by the end of the month here. I've been, I'm, I'm getting a little pressure now. So I'm in the middle of spring training. So um, <laughs> I, I, I work with the Chicago White Sox now. So I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between Boston and Arizona, which is a little further than Florida. I'm not used to that. Um, but, um, uh, so I'm a little behind, but trying to put the finishing touches on essentially what we're doing is kind of like a certification process to, to go through and learn exactly how we do everything. So we have this free course because I kind of give you everything, the free course, right? You've taken the free course, like here's our system, right? Now, if you want to get certified, I'm going to show you exactly what we do, but by all means, you get a ton out of just taking the free course because I want everybody to benefit from that. I don't care if you do it my way, right? As long as you do it in an organized flow. But, you know, when the, when the actual certification comes out, hopefully at the end of March, you know, maybe early April, but let's say the, the end of March still, but when that comes out, we're going to go through in detail everything we do because, you know, we said like we need an organized system to look at movement and then be able to come up with a therapy and training program that is specific to that person. Right. And if you look right now, I mean, there's tons of other systems out there, but I, I've been through them. I'm sure you've been through them. I, I, I don't always feel like I know what to do with the person afterwards. Right. I just, okay. So they can't do a, a and B, but I don't know what to do now. So we're, we're, we're trying to come up with a complete system with like, here's exactly how we do it. So that way our therapists, our coaches, everybody can collaborates and communicates together. And then you guys can do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and Kaylee, one of our board members actually just dropped the link below um, for, for the free course. So it's, it's really easy, everyone. I took it today. All you have to do is just <laughs> click on the link. Um, you put in your email, put in your name, um, and, then, and then Michael Hobbs sends you an email with the link and you click on it and you can really get started. Um, it's really awesome. And we're going to dive into that a little bit more as, um, as we keep going here. And, you know, and for all of our viewers that are, that are joining in now, um, we'd love to hear from you. So if you have any uh, questions or comments from Mike, you know, just please put them right in the Facebook comments. So I'm right in the live comments right there. Um, we'll, and we'll queue them up right in the queue and we'll, we'll, we'll get Mike to, uh, to elaborate on them. So we're, really, we're really excited to hear from all of you. All right. So let's keep going here a little bit farther. So, 
So in your, in your course, you also mentioned that you felt PT school prepared you to take the boards, but really only showed you the tip of the iceberg. So along with your free course, what are some other things that students can do to get exposed to as much as possible while they're actually in school? Uh, that's a good question. I like that. And I think that fits Skylar's comment right there, too, studying for the boards right now. So that's a, it's a <laughs> here. And yeah, I mean, I, I and I don't think that's like a knock towards, you know, the schools or the universities and what we're learning as students right now. But, you know, you're learning the basics. Right. And, and you got to learn the basics. You got to know, you know, PT is a very generalized profession right now. So you got to learn the basics and a lot of things to be able to pass the boards and become a physical therapist. But, you know, if you have a passion about working with certain people and, and you do like this performance concept, then, you know, it's about becoming like a subspecialist afterwards. Right. And and look, every other profession pretty much does this. Right. Like, you you know, look at the, the doctors. They probably have the best model, but, you know, they graduate and they're, you know, they're medical doctors. But what does that mean? Right. We have pediatricians, you know, general practitioners, surgeons, brain surgeons. You know what I mean? Like, it's like such a huge like world in there. You have to have subspecialties. So. I, you know, I think we're going to get there a little bit more um, and with our professions. And I do think what happens that sometimes young clinicians don't understand is like, if you put a lot of effort into trying to specialize in something, whether that be performance-based therapy or maybe some specific golf therapy or, heck, whatever, pediatrics, whatever it may be, you, you will get known as that person and you will start to kind of niche yourself and you'll start seeing, you know, kind of more of those things over time. So, you know, you'll you'll start to see those things. But, you know, for me, I think going back to the, you know, the question here is that, you know, school, I'm going to actually start start at the beginning with a new concept I've kind of been trying to lay out for the students. And I'm going to put together some presentations on this for you guys. But it's, it's really about the evolution of a physical therapist and how you go through this. And to become an expert, right, to be somebody that's an expert. And that doesn't mean you have notoriety or that means you're famous, right? That's not what an expert is. An expert just means like you have, you have a really good grasp of, your, of what, what your profession is or what, you, what you're doing, right? To become an expert, I think there's four phases, right? It starts with knowledge and then it goes to skill and then it goes to experience and then it goes to judgment, right? And that's important that it goes in that order. If you don't go in that order, you're gonna run into trouble. So I'll explain it a little bit, but the first one's knowledge, right? That's school. You're in school, you have a ton of knowledge. Your skills stink, right? You just, you know, you, or you, you don't feel good about them yet. Your you know, skills take reps. More than anything else, they take reps, right? So you may be the most proficient Lockman in the world and you're like, I know how to grasp and I'm studying this, right? But it takes reps, right? Any, anybody that plays like a musical instrument, right? Like I know I can do a chord, right? Looks like I'm giving you the finger. Sorry. I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing a power chord. Like I know how to do like a chord, but like until you know how to like just do that, like inherently, like it's, it's not, it's, it's not expertise. So for, for, you know, for school, again, you learn that knowledge. You start to dabble with skill in your clinicals, but it's really like that first one to three years that it's skill. It's like you're working on how to feel things, how to move people, like it, it's all skill. So that's kind of those first few years. And then it really takes some time to develop the experience. The experience just takes reps and seeing people, right? And if you like follow me on Instagram or Facebook or any of those other things, if you actually see the videos, the reason why I do the videos the way I do is because the textbooks just aren't real a lot of times, right? They're just, they're very black and white and nothing in this world is black and white. So when I do a video on like, you know, how to do a special test for the shoulder, for example, I give you, hey, in my experience, by the way, hey, this is how the textbook tells you to do it, but do it slightly this way for this reason, right? I never just give you no reason, but I say for this reason, I do it a little bit different. Here's why. And that is clinical experience. And then once you have experience, then you actually start making judgment. You start saying, oh, okay, now I know, I've seen this a dozen times. I bet you I know what's gonna happen. I can do those things. But here's the problem right now, and I hate to say this. Everybody on Instagram is pretending to be an expert, right? And they're putting so much time making this one post in 60 seconds trying to show you their expertise. But many people don't have the experience and they don't have the judgment. And I'm telling you, we see some of these posts from some young, the younger clinicians on Instagram and we shake our head because we say like, oh, I remember when I used to think that. But then with experience, you realize that actually doesn't happen in real life the way you think it does. 
And you're like, oh, they're going to regret that post in three to five years when they learn more. So, so, and that, that's what I'm trying to get a point. Like, so when our students, they come and say, like, hey, I want to get on Instagram. I want to start sharing some stuff. I'm like, great. Don't pretend you're an expert, right? Don't go to a course and then that Monday start making posts like you've been practicing that course for the last 10 years, right? Be humble and say, hey, I'm learning this. I'm going to bring you through how I learn this. And as I learn this, this is what I'm thinking and what I'm doing. And that's how I think we should all be sharing on, on, on social media is we should be sharing how we're learning together, not all trying to pretend we're experts on this to try to impress people. So, you know, so again, I think that was kind of my comment, like schools teach you the basics, but then from there, most people want to subspecialize somehow. So you got to kind of do a little bit different. If that makes sense. So sorry, I got Absolutely. a lot on that. <laughs> no, I think that's great. I think that's awesome. So for all of our viewers, you can kind of hear from Mike. So knowledge then we have skill. So you take that knowledge, you develop your skill in it. Then when you've been practicing with that skill for a while, you develop that experience. And then after you have many, many years of experience, you're able to make different judgments. You're able to kind of bridge together that, that, that gray area. You're, a little, you're able to make it a little bit more black and white, not totally black and white, but you're able to make it a little bit more black and white. So I think that's really, really good advice for you know, all of the student PTs out there, student PTAs out there. Um, even fresh PTs, fresh PTAs, this is something you can really take into your back pocket. You know, when you go back the, into the clinic on Monday, whether you go back to school on Monday, um, it's something that, you know, you know, students can really take something away from it. And I think that was a really, really awesome comment there. Yeah. And I really think you should go about trying to develop yourself in that order, right? Like you, you should, you know, don't worry about, you know, certain things. Like go in order. So your first years out of school, you got to develop your skills, right? So and then, you know, we always we see this a lot with some students nowadays. Everybody's coming in and trying to get super complicated at the beginning. You know, they're you know, I always say this as a joke, but I, I, I mean, no disrespect for diaphragmatic breathing. But everybody wants to work on diaphragmatic breathing, but doesn't know how to treat a shoulder. Right. So like, yeah, right. no, I, I like diaphragmatic breathing and, and I'm, I'm a proponent of, of breathing. Right. But let's not just focus on breathing when you don't know how to treat a shoulder yet. Like focus on the basics first. And it, what we always say is. Everybody's working on the frosting and they haven't baked their cake yet, right? So, you know, so go in that order and don't, don't be, there's nothing wrong with that order because, man, you're going to get really good really fast if you think in that order and you don't try to proclaim false expertise early on. You say, hey, no, I'm going to develop my skills and then, okay, I feel pretty confident with my basic evaluation and treatment skills. You know what? I really like tennis. I'm going to work with tennis players, right? And then you start subspecializing, right? But if you go right into tennis and you don't know how to treat an ankle sprain, you're going to be in trouble. Absolutely. And that's actually a good segue into our next question. So Nick, he dropped in in the comments. So we're talking about subspecializing right now. So he says on the subject of subspecializing, what are your thoughts on a sports PT residency program versus gaining skill through other clinical practice methods? So, yeah, I mean, we're, we talk about this a lot on our podcast, too, but, you know, sports residencies are good. You know, I did a fellowship. So um, I did a fellowship with Kevin Wilk down in ASMI um, uh, down in Birmingham. So I did a fellowship myself. Um, you know, the, what the residencies do, I think, really well is they, 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 they throw you into an amazing learning environment. You know, and I think what you do is you can really, really grow and learn in that environment. But that being said, um, I always recommend people – that they have to have a reason why they're doing a residency, right? And I always tell the story of one, one of our students a few years ago or something. They said, you know, like, yeah, you know, all our professors are kind of trying to push us to go do a residency. I'm like, oh, okay, so what do you think? And he's like, well, I'm going to apply to a few. I'm like, all right, well, what's your end game? What do you want to do? And he's like from, I don't remember, the middle of nowhere, America, right? He's in the middle of America somewhere. He's like, well, you know, I just want to get a job at that outpatient clinic in my hometown, you know, in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, okay. I'm like, you think you need to do a residency to get that job? Like, I, I don't think you need to do a residency to get that job. So, like, have have an end game. Like, so for me, I wanted to get into baseball, right? So I sought out the people that were the best in baseball, and that was ASMI down in Birmingham, and I, I went and learned from them. So, you know, I, I don't like when people look into residencies just because they don't know what to do with themselves, right? I want you to have a plan, and if you have a plan – and that residency or that fellowship helps execute that plan and get you closer to your goal, then by all means do it. Um, but, you know, it, it's a great, rich learning environment, right? You're going to be, you know, thrust into that. You're probably going to end your first year and be really, you know, probably closer to being like three years out of school in terms of like your knowledge and your skill. So it probably escalates that. But for a lot of people, that doesn't, 
you don't you don't have to do that like trust me the vast majority of pts don't do that and they're all fine right so you know there's a financial obligation there's a time obligation there's you know it's not an easy decision so um i'm pro doing it but i've seen some schools that just you know push the kids for no reason just you know just just because they don't know what else to do right exactly you know i think that's something good to for students who are, who are tuning in tonight to have in their back pocket is to have an end game with it. Like you said, kind of have a purpose of what you're trying to do it and have that, you know, whether, the, whether it's a residency or a fellowship, you know, have you going through that process, have it, have a purpose at the end of it, you know, have an, like you were saying, have an end game, have something you want to accomplish that, you know, that you wouldn't really be able to do as well with unless you had a residency. So I think, like you said, that's one thing to, to that's good to keep in mind for all the students out there. Awesome. So, you know, this is a different Nick. So he says, from your extensive clinical mentorship experience, if you had one thing to advise students and new grads on, you know, and this kind of builds off of our last question on how to take their practice to the next level, what would it be? Oof, one thing? One Man. thing. And what was this uh, for a student or what did it say? Like, like one thing for who? What was for a student. Yep. Yeah. So for a student, so look, mm -hmm. I, the one thing you need is the one thing I can't give you and it's time. You know, it's, it's, it's just reps or something like that. But I would say the thing that I would, I would recommend people get closer to earlier in their career is just getting good with their hands, right? We're still very hands-on, right? And don't get me wrong. We, you know, we do a ton of uh, exercise-based loading and stuff like that. We do a ton of other things. We're very hands-on. I will say, I always tell people I was very hands-off for the beginning of my career, um, and uh, I'll, I, I, you know, we had great results, right? We did tons of post-ops and it was just like a tons of like exercise based, you know, post-op rehab type stuff, but we never did any manual therapy, any soft tissue work. And I will say when I started integrating that more, my outcomes just skyrocketed, right? In just terms of, you know, how much better people felt, you know, how sooner they got back into it. So if there's one thing I would recommend for a student, which is like an impossible question, but, you know, if one thing, it's just be patient. <laughs> that would be my one, right? Patient and practice, right? Like, you know, but, it, it, you know, it, it, if there's one thing, it was just like just figure out a way to get better with your hands, and that takes reps. So I always tell our students this, and this is kind of like a good one here. It's like, look, anytime you have any knee patient come in, right? Anybody, right? They could be coming in with any diagnosis. I could care less. Lay them back on the table, check their range of motion, move their patella around, do a Lachman, do a varus valgus, right? The patient has no idea what you're doing, right? They have no idea what you're doing. You are practicing, right? And you're feeling and you're doing that five times a day at least. And you do that over and over and over again. You tell you what, the patient, again, clueless to what you're doing, but they love it. They're like, man, Kyle, man, he is like, he's pretty thorough. He checks me out every time, right? So they like it. They feel like they're really hands-on and you get get time practicing. It's, we get really stuck in a rut, like looking at a treatment plan and an exercise list and we think people come in and just, hey, I got to bring you through this list. Take time to lay them down, do a couple things to practice because it's all about your hands. It's all about your interaction. It's all about, you know, getting that, that comfort level with the patient. That's what's going to help you. You probably get to where you want to be in your profession faster. It's just getting comfortable in that matter. Yeah. Like you said, it, it builds the, it builds your skills. We're kind of at the skill point, right? We're building a, your exactly. skill by getting in those reps. Right. Yeah. And we're also kind of, um, we're kind of getting at the patient therapist um, rapport, right? Cause I, Totally. And they've told us it's a sacred heart. You know, once you put your hands in a patient, like the, the rapport is there. You kind of have that bond with them. And they, they feel secure kind of when you're able to, to you know, be with them, you know, kind of, uh, you know, do your manual therapy techniques on them. So I think that's a really good point and something, again, that we can take away from it. A lot of yeah. students can take away from it. And you'd be surprised, too, like in the performance therapy model, again, so, you know, again, we work with a lot of baseball players, right? So we're, we work with what we see the baseball players every day, especially in the training room if you're working with that. You know, I, I work with some college students. I work with some pro guys. When you see them every day, we always we, – we set up systems at, at the teams I work with. We look at the pitchers every day. They come in every day, at least once a day. And I'm telling you, you bring them through the range of motion of their shoulder, their elbow, and you feel it. And, you know, no big deal. But then one day, I don't know when, four weeks from now, six weeks from now, they're going to come in and you're going to be like, thunk. And you're like, oh, wait, that feels different. I've felt you like every day for the last six weeks and thunk. Oh, wait, 
that so if something's up what's going on and they're like oh you know i you know i was changing my mechanics in my last bullpen and you know i'm in the back of my shoulders a little tight and you're like yeah i, I can tell and right there again your bond with the patient goes up quite a bit but that's why you do it you just you're you always got to get those reps so you know i i said the knee right but do that for everybody in every joint right you don't look you don't have to be doing like O'Brien's tests and like provoking stuff, right? But like, you know, like, like you can you just, you know, practice some of your skills in there. With the shoulder, we always say do like anterior, posterior drawers, inferior plays. So you can just start feeling different joints. You know, that's kind of how we say it. Right, right. And I think this is kind of a good segue. So at Sacred Heart, they say to us kind of when you come out of school, if you're looking to go into orthopedics, um, you know, choose, choose a school of thought. So, or, you know, a school of, you know, thought for manual therapy. So, we're really, we're really blessed to kind of get MSI, Mulligan, Maitland, you Keltenborn. We kind of get every manual therapy approach, and they say, kind of take what, take what you know, approach that you like best and run with it. And could, the only way you're going to get good at that one approach is if, if you use that for one or two years out of school. Right. And it kind of goes back to your, your point about building skill. So, you know, my question was, what do you find yourself using manual therapy techniques um, most with your athletes? Is there a different, if, is there a school of thought that you? Um, find that you're using most of them and and, and why yeah so I, I you know the first thing i'm going to highlight there that you inadvertently said or you probably you probably know the, what i'm about to say here but your school said here's a bunch of options pick one you know the first thing that strikes me there is is this they all work right they all work right everything works so everything works on someone nothing works on everyone you got to kind of like think of it that way right and i think that's the main point is look Paris isn't right. Mainland isn't right. Mackenzie isn't right. You know, all these, you know, all these like different things. Everybody is right to some extent and everything works a little bit. You just got to find what's more com- comfortable in your hands. Right. So, you know, to answer your question about manual therapy, we do a ton of manual therapy now because and it's actually one of the most important things that we do in our performance therapy system is the manual therapy. And I'm telling you, when I didn't do it, I, we were incomplete. You know, so, you know, to break down our system, and this is in that free course, you guys can get this whole course, you know, we look at how well people move, but then we focus on three things, mobility, control, and load. And to restore mobility, it's a ton of manual therapy. And, you know, we do we do a bunch of stuff. I use my hands. I use instrument-assisted tools. I use cupping. I, I mean, I, we do a lot of stuff. And I, I have no problem doing all those things because I know how effective they are in the, the person in front of me. We are never, ever, 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 I don't know if I made that clear, ever going to be able to come up with a randomized control trial that proves everything. So all of these studies that say, you know, you know, very limited evidence in there, it's because these studies are impossible to design and to come up with controls so that way we can look at that here. So, you know, what we're looking for is we're trying to help optimize how well they move and how they feel. And we know that soft tissue, even self-mobility, like foam rolling and stuff like that, all of these things help neuromodulate pain and help people feel and move better. And we know that. And I still don't think we know why, right? And we're coming up with good theories again why on, you know, the neurophysiology and why some of these things work. But I'm telling you, there's still theories. And I'm telling you, in five to ten years, we're going to think something different. It's going to be something we've never even heard of, right? So don't get tied to one thing and, you know, like go on Twitter and yell at everybody that says the opposite because you're going to regret it. Cause in 10 years, we're going to think something completely different, but we do a ton of manual therapy and I'll break it down simple for you, Kyle, and kind of answer your question. This is why I do a ton of different things and not one thing, right? Think about it. Instrument assisted is kind of like superficial, right? Cupping is very different, right? My hands, I push my, my tools, push foam rollers, push, push, push cup sucks, right? So it's a completely different traction on the tissue, right? So I have some light instrument assisted, some some traction from the cupping, and then deep tissue with my hands. Just those alone right there. Think about it. If, if we're talking about neuromodulating tone and pain and allowing, you know, uh, you know, better freedom of movement and stuff like that, we have different mechanoreceptors that are stimulated with all these these different things, light touch, deep touch, vibrations, you know, shear versus depth. You know what I mean? So there are different mechanoreceptors that are neuromodulated by all these things. So our approach, our technique is we combine all this together and we do it in a very specific order because we want to stimulate all of those. So that way we just maximize our outcomes. But trust me, if you do one of those, you'll probably be successful. But I think if you do all of them and you do them in the order we go over in the course, I think you're going to be even more successful more often. Right. But again, nothing works on everybody. 
right? But you know, but if you do a few different things, I think I think you're you're more prone to being right. More prone to being right. No, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. So everyone, so we're halfway through the course. So seven thirty-five. So we got twenty-five or twenty-five-ish minutes or so more. Uh, so keep dropping your uh, your questions in the comments, um, and we'll queue them right up for, for Mike. And uh, I think this is going great. We're getting some really good questions. Um, we're getting some really, really awesome answers that we can really use in our clinical practice. So this is awesome. All right. So this is from Nick as well. Um, different Nick. So he says, how do you balance the wants of the athlete, um, you know, with the versus the literature and the best, uh, best clinical practice. So for example, if a guy likes, if an athlete likes stim, uh, but it does not fix the muscle imbalance causing the problem, like what do you do about that? Well, I mean, it depends on your setting and stuff too. So like, I, I, it's, I think it's funny that you see a lot of people on the internet kind of like arguing about this, like, oh, you're wasting 10 minutes on stim. I don't know. My athletes have all freaking day. Right. And I'm not trying to kick them out of the room. So look, we're still going to do what we want to do. If they want to do stim at the end for 10 minutes, e-stim, you just use a Nick's example, e-stim has some very valid benefits, right? It helps neuromodulate pain and it feels good, you know? So I, I think the thing is like, if you do nothing, right, if somebody comes into you with some sort of pain and all you do is stim and ice, well, that's inappropriate and that's ineffective here. But the man, again, not to keep knocking social media, but the way people say it on social media is like, oh, if you do Eastim, you're the devil. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, look, there's there's a time and a place, and there is some validity to be able to do something like Eastim. But no, it should not replace all the things that we know works. So uh, here's how I pick what I do, right? And I kind of call this the lights, the, the research or the evidence-based light system, Right. There's very few green lights and red lights, right? A red light is, hey, there's a study that says this produces harm, right? Or is definitively ineffective, not inconclusive, right? Because remember, I think it's impossible to do most of these studies. Not inconclusive, but definitively ineffective or harmful. That's a red light, right? If you find something that shows, hey, this is super effective, that's a green light. But I'm telling you, those two are two ends of a bell curve. Most of the time, it's going to be in the middle. So evidence-based practice, you guys, you guys are in school, you know this better than me, right? That's, it's a combination of our best scientific evidence as well as our clinical experience and as well as what sometimes what the patient believes and what the patient wants. So um, you, I would say, yes, you have to balance it. You should never replace the things that you know have been proven to be effective with something passive that the patient is requesting. But I am, look, you want a cherry on top and you want some stim and ice at the end? Great, because I'm satisfied with what we did for treatment today. You can absolutely stim at the end because I know you feel better afterwards. And trust me, for all the therapists out there that want to get on their high horse and start trying to explain to the patient why that's ineffective, that person is going to leave and probably never come back, right? Because they just said, well, I like stim. Stim makes me feel better. And you said, well, that, you kind of said that's stupid. Right. And how do you think that's going to make them feel about that right here? So, look, never, ever, ever do anything that you think is a, uh, a red light. And I am one. I will educate my people like, hey, you know, yeah, this might have a little benefit. I don't think it's the most important thing we do. Right. But, yeah, absolutely. Like, it, let's not replace anything with it. But, yeah, at the end, like, just we'll put you over there on that table over there. And you can go stim and ice while you're on Instagram arguing with people. Right. Like, that's how, that's how you can do it. So. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. So this is from Kelvin. He just uh, put it in the comments. He says, hi, Mike, I'm a student from Puerto Rico. Awesome. Um, how would you differentiate a residency in sports for a physical therapist and athletic trainer? It's a topic that people in Puerto Rico tend to ask a lot. Well, man, I, I so Kelvin, I mean, I think the, I think the professions are completely different, right? So, you know, there's, um, um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, you can type this right here. Are you kind of asking that it's because in these sports residencies and even the sports certification with the APTA that there's like on-field coverage and, uh, you know, uh, you know, in-game uh, uh, event coverage and stuff. Are you trying to say how does that differentiate between that and athletic training? Um, so I'm going to answer it that way, but but please comment. We can, Kyle and I can see this, but um, uh, what I'm, I, I am not a big advocate of the concept of physical therapists providing game coverage. Um, I, I do not think we're qualified to do that. I'm a physical therapist. I'm an SCS, right? I'm also an athletic trainer, right? And this is the glass I'm drinking from right now, right? I shouldn't <laughs> not do that on the APTA thing. So, no, we're, oh, you're good. You're good. we're friends, right? Um, I, I, I get it. Look, trust me, as a physical therapist, you, yeah, that's what I thought of. You, you're not prepared for that. 
you are not prepared for that. So, look, I got into baseball. You know what athletic training is in baseball? Like, you have a blister. Like, I've got, I've been on the mound in Yankee Stadium with 70,000 people screaming at you to look at somebody's fingernail, right? That's athletic training in baseball. It scares me to have some of these real injuries, like, that require spine boarding or, you know, these other things. So even though I'm an athletic trainer, I mean, I'm predominantly a physical therapist, that scares me. I do not think it's appropriate for physical therapists to be able to do that. And I don't, honestly, I, I, not to be pessimistic, I don't think we're ever going to. I don't think anyone's ever going to hire a PTSES to cover a game because that's what athletic trainers do. I think they're better qualified at it than we are. And to be honest with you, I think we shouldn't even be trying to do that. I think it's great to get the experience, and I think it's great to know it. It's, it's like a, a observing a orthopedic surgery, right? Great experience to see that. But man, I, I you don't want to cover you don't want to cover events. You know, it's it's I just don't think we're trained for it, right? It's not about just taking a class and, and passing something or doing some hours. That's that's kind of a it's a big deal in my mind. Awesome, awesome. So Kelvin, I hope um, hope that kind of answers your question. I thought that was a that was a really awesome response. Yeah, so we'll keep rolling through here. So we got about twenty minutes left. So um, Kayla wants to know. She says. What does communication look like between um, you and the coaches and the trainers? And a follow-up to that, do you ever run into disagreements with coaches and trainers about treatment plans or return to sport criteria? And if so, how do you handle those discussions? Nice questions, Kayla. I like it. Well, so, I mean, it depends on your environment a little bit, right? So let's say in the pro sports model, right? So here's what we're doing right now. It's, It's spring training, right? In the pro sports model, we meet up every morning, right? First thing in the morning, and it's interdisciplinary, right? We have... The athletic trainers, the physical therapists, the strength coaches, and the massage therapists, right? Everybody's in there because those are the people providing them the care. You know, if there were more people on our team, they would be in that meeting too. We meet up every morning. We talk about what's new. Hey, what happened yesterday? Oh, somebody somebody said their hamstring was tripped tight after the game, but, you know, whatever. We talk about what's new, and then we talk about the plan for the day for the people, right? And we say, like, all right, so, all right, this guy's uh, – he's got his uh, stability manuals day for Tommy John rehab. You know, we're doing this. Everybody gets on the same page. Everybody has an opportunity to speak and to say, here's the plan for that person for the day. We also have macroscopic plans for people that are, like, on rehab. So, say you, you injure something and you're going to be on rehab, everybody gets a chance to speak and get it out there, right? And everybody better have a justification for why they say what they're doing. But when that meeting's over – we're in complete agreement. Everybody's had an opportunity to say their their part, and that plan going forward is solid, right? What you don't want to do is you don't want to see the athlete going into the strength coaches and saying like, "Hey, why am I doing sprints today?" And the coach is like, "I wouldn't have done that, right?" So you gotta everybody's got to get on that same page. Um, so that's how we do it, like in the pro sports model when we're all sitting there together. At Champion, we're kind of all together too, right? So usually, what will happen if somebody comes in, like I have somebody coming from out of town this this week. They're coming in. They'll spend a few hours for us. You know, we have people come out of town quite a bit. You know, they'll probably work with me for like an hour. They'll probably be with my coaches for an hour. And then we'll kind of put our heads together. I'll say, here's what I found. What'd you find? Right. What overlaps? You know, and sometimes the coaches would be like, hey, you know, I found this. Do you think it might be from A or B? And I'm like, nah, I actually think it's from C. You know, and we talk about it and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And we kind of, you know, all get together. So, look, as a physical therapist, if you don't have these environments where you are working as a team every day together, then it is your job to collaborate. But just realize that if you have to call that gym down the street with the strength coaches, you better be, you know, super collaborative, right? You want to go there and you want to try to help as much as you can. Remember, you guys work together. Don't dictate orders that type of thing to say like, you know, I, again, I always try to say like, what are, what are your whys? I always start with your why. So I say like, Hey, you know, I, I guess this patient, like I am, I'm doing a bunch of manual therapy on his ankle. I'm trying to get some dorsiflexion, but you know, if you guys can do some correctives or something to, you know, do some dorsiflexion, that'd be great. And then you just step away, right? Don't say do drill A, B and C for, you know, 30 seconds, three times, right? Don't tell people what to do. Try to collaborate. And if you're not finding a group that you share the same thought process, then you just have to keep looking, you know, and I think that's the key is you have to find a group that works just like you. Absolutely. You know, that's a really good point. And I think that's, you know, something we can all take. It doesn't need to just be with a sports team. It can be, you know, just general orthopedic practice or general, you know, practice for physical therapists. You've got to be able to have that cooperation there. Cause again, the goal, the ultimate goal is to just get the, to get the patient, you know, better, 
as better, you know, better as quickly as possible, you know, fully better um, as quickly as possible. So I think, you know, that's one thing that, you know, people who maybe go into the sports realm, they can, you know, take that away into their general practice as well. Absolutely. Uh, so this is from Nick. Um, he, he submitted a lot of questions. So he says, <laughs> I know you would champion PT offer certification and performance. Like you said, it's going to be rolling a little bit later, right? Yeah, later in March, we're hoping, yep. Awesome. So he says, what other certification should new grads look into for performance? For example, CSCS, um, CSCCA, SFMA, um, et cetera, that can make us the most competitive um, we can be. Well, I mean, so they're all slightly different, right? So, you know, I, I think you got to look what's what's kind of, you know, best for you. Um, you know, there's a reason why we're coming up with our own certification processes, because we just felt that there are there were holes in the others, right, that they didn't quite give us everything we wanted. There's some great ones on how to evaluate people. There's some great people on how to look at movement. There's some great ones on how to, you know, strength train, for example, just kind of using some of the examples you have. But none of them were a complete system that helped me do everything I wanted to do. I would go to all these certifications. I've been through them all, trust me. And and we, we've, we've taken what we got out of them, but we, we'd always be like, all right, well, I don't know. Okay, I, now I still don't know 100% what to do. So all we're doing in ours, we're not saying ours is better or the best or anything like that. We're just saying this is what we do, right? And it, we've been doing it for years. You know, I've been kind of building this for 20 years. So it's kind of, you know, something that we've been slowly developing over time. We say this is our approach. But here's the key to our system, Kyle. This is the part that's that's really cool. It's completely scalable. Right. So it's more of a framework than a system, meaning like as new evidence comes out, we just slide it into the framework and we just adjust what we're doing. But we're still building on the same principles and it's completely scalable. If Kyle, you say like, hey, no, I am, you know, I'm allergic to stainless steel, so I don't like instrument assisted tools. It's great. You don't have to use instrument assisted. I do, but you don't have to. And, And I would never say there's one one way to do it. Most systems out there, it's like you're you're signing over your life to that system, and, and you have to really kind of study that. So, look, I am a super supporter of I love I love the SFMA. I like the FMS for PTs. I love the SFMA for PTs. Um, I, I'm trying to think of what other ones. You know, TPI if you're in the golf did a really good job. It's kind of based on SFMA too. Uh, I'm you know I've learned a lot from Shirley Sarman and Gray Cook and even Yonda and some of those approaches. Like I, I've been through a bunch of those. I'm a CSCS. I've been through NASM stuff. So I've been through all these things. I think they're all really valid. Um, you know, it's try to find the niche that you think fits the best. Right. And again, not to, you know, harp on ours, but I think, I think ours is going to give you a bigger blueprint on what to do versus like theories. Is that, if that makes sense. I don't know, Kyle, you saw some of the course. I mean, am I, am I articulating that, that well? <laughs> They're articulating it perfectly, you know, and I think if you could kind of like give our audiences just like a little bit of, of um, you know, a pre what the four components are sure. of performance therapy and training, like you don't have to go you know, totally into it because they can dive right into the course if they want to, but just kind of yeah. briefly what the four components are and they can kind of get a little bit more insight to that. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, this is when it all clicked with me when I started being systemized on what we do. So everybody that knows me knows how systemized I am, right? Like run a bunch of companies like, you know, in, 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 or, you know, kind of direct some, some teams and stuff like that. I, I have to systemize everything. So we started systemizing everything we do at champion. Here's the thing that cracks me up, right? And you guys are probably going to really get this. If you're a person walking into a physical therapy clinic right now with, with low back pain and there's five PTs there, you can walk in there, you can get five different evaluations five different treatment plans all in the same clinic it's crazy how there's no continuity in what we do right so again i'm not saying the way we do it is best or the only way i actually am the complete opposite and i said there's a million ways to do things but i do think we all need to get on the same page so at champion we have literally systemized everything where our students come in and like literally by week two we're just like all right this person needs uh do some posterior shoulder arm care we're going to do the thrower series, and then he's phase two core stability manual. Boom. And then the students just like, yep. And then boom, they like, they know how to, to go out and do it. Right. And that, that's just with the students. Imagine though, if somebody came in and they're like, like, especially the champion, they're like, Hey, you know, I, I want to see Mike and or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Come see me. But everybody here does the same system. So every PT works in the same system. That, so that's kind of the why you asked about what the, what 
I always start with the why, Kyle. You're going to learn that about me. Systems and the why, right? So you ask what we do. That's why we do it that way. Now, here's the what. We do have four components, right? It's movement, mobility, uh, control, and load. I almost forgot, <laughs> right? Control and load. <laughs> Those are the four, right? The first one is assessing movement, right? So we have a very systemized way we look at movement based on the big movement patterns, like hinge, squat, step, lunge, rotate, push, pull, those sorts of things. We have a huge, I'm trying to like, I'm in my office. There it is right here. Don't steal it, right? So you can see I found a couple of typos. That's what it is. We're working on the last thing. This is our like movement assessment. And we go through and for each of these patterns, we have like our compensations and stuff like that. It's going to look nicer, by the way. It's going to look more like this as we get going. We're working on it. We'll see. But we have this movement assessment that we go through. And then each time you make a check, there's a subsequent, here's exactly what to do. And that's the difference, right? It's not like theoretical. It's like, here's what we would do based on this check. Oh, if this happens during a lunge, okay, here's what we're going to do. So we look at their movement. That's step one. Then it's mobility, control, and load. And everybody gets all three. We run into so many troubles when we either skip one or we don't know one or we load inappropriately or whatever it is, but we do those three. So the first one is you have to optimize their mo their mobility, right? Because that's the biggest limitator for, for movement and motion all the time is if you're tight. But then the second one's control. Now, I intentionally say control because I think control is strength and dynamic stability. We see that all the time. So strength and neuromuscular control, right? And we put that together. That is control for me. And yes, that is some isolated strengthening. So yes, you're doing a rotator cuff exercise. Yes, you're doing knee extension. I know that's not functional to some people, but that is isolated strengthening. You're going to use that because the person is weak. So you're going to strengthen an, an isolated area uh, that's weak while working on the neuromuscular control and the dynamic stability. But then that fourth level is then load. You then now have to progressively load. And trust me, we see it all the time, right? It is people that come to see us three, four months after an ACL and they're still doing three sets of 10 straight leg raises with the ankle weight, right? And we would be like in the gym going bananas already. So, you know, it's, it's you know, there's, 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 definitely, uh, there's definitely something to that order, and that's kind of our system in there. So some of the systems that, yeah, I forget the, who asked that question, but some of they brought up, they only address like one of those things, right? So I've gone through all these little micro systems to put together into this because we just we were just slowly building over time. That's kind of how we did it. But again, I will never tell you that ours is the best because it's not. There's I don't know if there is a best. This is just how we do it. And you know, and I, I encourage you to take ours and others. I would never say this is the only way. But when you go to another course after you get certified in ours and you go to another course, I guarantee you what you're gonna do is you're gonna take everything you liked about that. And then you're going to put it into our framework. And you know what? You just made my system that I've just built for 20 years. You just made it better. You did. Exactly. It's better than mine now. You be, it's better. And you're freaking three years out of school, and it's better than mine. Because you, I've given you everything I've done for 20 years, and you've learned more and made it better. And that's how it's, it's, we always want it to be. And, and trust me, in two years, we're going to – or every year, we're going to update it. It's going to be different. People are going to get pissed. They're like – Wait a minute, that's slightly different than, than last year. We're like, well, I, we new research came out. We changed our mind. You know, I think that's awesome. And like you said, you can really build off of it. And I know it's totally different. Like they're totally different frameworks. Like champion is their own framework. But I think that what you were saying now, like if you see one specific thing on the lunch, the champion framework, performance framework, is if you see what that one specific thing, this is what you do to correct it. And I think that's actually pretty similar to SFMA. Am, am, am I wrong with the breakouts? If you see yeah. one certain thing with yeah, SFMA, yeah. you're going to do like, SMA is fantastic. They did a great job. So, it, 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 and, and to me, we used to always say that SMA is like one of the first things we recommend, you know, you do. Now we're saying ours, of course. But like with, with SFMA, ours is, is there's a, quite a bit of overlap. But I think we, we help tell you a little bit more. SMA just says, like, all right, here's what you find, and you got to figure out what you want to do with it, right? And I think the SFA, SFMA excelled at teaching you how to look at movement. Right. But I, I, I it's it, what we did is we added our system after that as to now what to do once they don't have good movement. I think that's where it differs a little bit for us. It's just more comprehensive the way we think. Right. But trust me, I know all the guys. They're all my friends that made the SFMA. They think these things in their heads, too. They have these good thought processes. So we are huge advocates of the SFMA. I, 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 I would never, ever have hesitate to tell you to, to do that. If you're going to start somewhere, the R's and the SFMA are the same too. And, and they're super complimentary, right? Like you, 
Like they're you you will you will like both of them, but I I want people to start thinking this way in terms of movement because I know how impactful it was for me. You don't learn that stuff at school unless you go to Belmont University because that's where Mike Voigt teaches and he teaches them all the SFMA. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. So I think we have time for just one more question, then we'll start with the ending announcement. So James says he says, what are some key qualities? And I think this is a great ending question. What are some key qualities you see in students and new clinicians that make them a good fit in the sports therapy world? Ooh, I, excellent question, by the way, James. And if James, you're the same one that that did that um, that Simon Sinek book, uh, Start with Why. Yes, excellent book. That is. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Especially in the sports world, I like how you said in the sports world. What are some things with the students? I hate to say it, but you do have to know how to interact with people. That's like your number one thing. Um, and, and one of the first things we kind of always talk about with our students and, and sometimes it's harder for others than not is like, you are used to school. You are used to practicals. You are used to saying like, all right, I'm going to move your humerus and, um, the glenohumeral joint by five degrees during this measurement, right? You can't talk like that to an athlete, right? Like you're used to that because you have to say that during your practical or your fill. You say like, all right, my proximal hand is now going to articulate, you know, or whatever the heck you say, right? Like you, you have to learn how to talk and you have to learn how to interact and be one with those athletes. So it's super helpful if you are one of those athletes to an extent. So for me, for example, like I, I get baseball, I like baseball. So if somebody were come to me, and to have an issue with baseball, I'm going to use all their slang, all their terminology. I get it. So during the evaluation, they completely understand that I know everything about baseball. Uh, one of my buddies, Dave Tilly, same way with gymnastics, right? He's my lord. That guy comes in. If you ever saw him, if you ever went with him for an evaluation, you're a gymnast. You're like, okay, this guy is an elite level gymnast himself. He gets it. Same thing with Dan Pope with like CrossFit and fitness athletes. These are all our guys, a champion. Like they everybody's got this niche in there. So you got to be able to like interact with them. I think that's the number one thing because you can learn anything, right? You can learn any skill, any knowledge or something like that. You get your practice. You got to be able to interact with the athletes in your specific sport, right? So it helps if, if you kind of have a little bit of that background, but I, I would just say like, look, how many freaking analogies did I come up with tonight in this last hour? I talk like that all day, right? I just, I these like the cakes and the frosting and all this crap that, you know, we talk like this all the time because it helps you relate to it. So yes. So uh, Star With Why is a great first book, right? Yeah. You, we always recommend to Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. You've got to be able to connect with people. And if you're in the sports PT world, you have to be able to connect with an athlete, right? So I, that is my biggest thing on what to do. Because trust me, I can train anybody to work well with an athlete, but you have to be able to interact and click with that athlete or it's going to be challenging for you to get the best out of their session. Awesome. Awesome. This is all great stuff. You know, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time out of your, your busy schedule. Like you said, you're going down to spring training soon. Um, so, yeah, so thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Um, could you please share your uh, contact information so we know you have a Twitter, you have an Instagram, and you also have your face, uh, official Facebook page. So you could, could you share that for our viewers, and we'll put it right into the comments. Yeah, man, I, I got lucky. I was, like, first to market with all this stuff, right? So I've, 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 my blog's been around. I have over a 1,000 posts in over 10 years on MikeReinold.com, so I'm pretty easy to find. You go from it there, it's kind of my hub, but – I can't, I'm, I'm like at Mike Reinold, like at everything I think. I don't know. So like even things that don't exist anymore. But yeah, so Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, those are probably the big ones nowadays still. But but if you go to MikeReinold.com, that's my hub. Uh, you know, blog with tons of articles coming out all the time. I do like at least at least two posts a week or sometimes three. We have a podcast where we answer questions from like students and stuff. Like every week we do that. That comes out. Um, you know, so we do a bunch of stuff. So go there. Uh, MikeReynolds.com uh, slash performance is how you uh, another kind of quick way to get to my um, uh, that free introduction course if you're interested. But you can find it from my website too. But that's it. And I, and I get questions all the time. I read all my emails. Still, I've been doing this for forever. But you know, social media is easy to get me to. And and you know, just before you start doing all your end stuff, I just wanted to say thanks so much, Kyle. One, by the way, give Kyle an applause. Kyle, excellent job, right? I mean, look, I've, I've done a ton of interviews and podcasts. 
you did an excellent job just kind of coming up with some great questions and putting it together. This is pretty cool. And, and the APCA should be really proud that they're doing something like this for the students. And because um, I get it, man, there's, it's you guys got a lot going on. It's very overwhelming. So um, I hope little things like this help. So thank you so much for having Absolutely. me. And thank you for heck taking time of your life, Kyle, to organize and do all this. I know you put a lot of work into this and, and to give back to the APCA. So thank you guys for having me. It's a, and it really is the guests that, that make the show. You know, we, the guests that come on that are just, are just amazing in every, you know, different way, whatever their niche is, they always come out and they, and they give the best information, their best clinical practice to all the students out there. And they're, they're really the ones that make the show, Mike. So, you know, we really thank you for coming on. So I really appreciate that. Thanks, Kyle. And, you know, just for, absolutely. And just for our viewers. So, um, you know, hit up. Twitter. So after this exchange essay, you know, on performance therapy and training, let us know what are you going to do? I'm going to, you know, blank. Um, and what did you find most valuable about this um, hashtag exchange essay? Um, if, if you need any more valuable information, the, you know, the conversation is going to be ongoing on Twitter. Um, yeah, so thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in, um, and we'll see, you, we'll see you next month. We'll see you in April. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. <laughs>